Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. What I'd like to start is a short reading from the book we're using this month, Ernest Holmes' Creative Ideas. Here is what he has to say about relationships. As our thought turns to the quietude of our innermost self, we become conscious of the perfect peace and love and strength of the universal being, the one spirit. There is refreshment in the realization that this self is all-pervading in all and through all. It is the source of all life and every individual life. There is one great unity. There is but one life, one body of love, and all are part of it, this one being. Every part of nature melts into another, into a great transmutation. One part could not exist without the other. In human nature, the fusion of love and thought truly makes us all one. So then why do relationships seem so hard? (laughs) Am I the only one? I, I would bet if, if we all uh, were honest, we would all say that relationships are not only difficult, but sometimes mystifying, uh, full of great rewards, but also full of great pitfalls. And I wonder, uh, you know, the promise this month is that we could use a systematic approach, that we could use the divine creative process to see progress in our lives, to make a difference, to have a mental equivalent of what we want to experience. You'll remember that was Ernest Holmes' uh, 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 term for developing a, a rich mental idea of what we want to experience. Could we use the same process to improve our relationships. Well, I think we can, uh, uh, otherwise my talk is all for nothing. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I do think it's a little different. First of all, I don't think we're used to really planning and thinking about relationships. I think we just kinda, uh, uh, well, there's that old uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, Rear Window, where, uh, where the uh, the uh, the nurse involved in it is upset that the two lead characters aren't expressing more intimacy together, and she said, "This isn't love. Love is like two taxis that come together on Fifth Avenue." And I, and I think for most of us, that's almost like we picture relationships that it's something that happens to us. Uh, some magnetism, whether it's friendship or whether it's a long-term relationship, that somehow it's out of our control, that it's chemistry, that it isn't something to be approached in any kind of a scientific way. And I would like us to relook at that. I think we absolutely can use the divine creative process to improve our relationships if we're willing to actually use the process. You'll remember the process we've been using this month is develop uh, a strong mental equivalent. It's to remove any impediments, any ideas that stand in the way of achieving that mental equivalent. And then it's simply taking small steps along the path, using our mental equivalent as a bit of a a compass. Uh, Does this step take me closer to my ideal? Or does this step take me further away? I think we can absolutely apply that to relationships, but it is going to take a little bit of us giving up how we think relationships come about.
First of all, I would like to suggest that we all have a mental equivalent of what relationships are like, but it's the ones we inherited from our parents. Now, uh, certainly on Father's Day, I don't want to imply there's anything wrong with anybody's relationship on the planet, but when we just inherit a relationship, uh, it may come with all kinds of mistakes that have been in turn inherited from things that have happened to their parents and so on back throughout time. And yet our first experience of relationships are from who? It's from looking at our parents, looking at our siblings, looking at uh, uh, perhaps friends in the neighborhood and so on. And so it's not surprising then, given that mental equivalent, that when we begin our own quest for friendships and relationships and so on, that that's our source material. That is kind of, in a way, our default mental equivalent. And so unless we're prepared and willing uh, to actually develop one on our own, one that suits us, one that mirrors how we would like to be in a relationship, it's not surprising at all that we fall into some of the habits that we see our parents, uh, uh, other people in our lives exhibit that are counterproductive, that are not all of that useful. Okay, so what would it be like then to create from scratch a mental equivalent of what a friendship would be like, what a long-term relationship would be like, what a marriage would be like? You know, it's not that difficult, not that different from what we've already talked about this month. Literally, you begin to visualize the highest and best and visualize yourself in it. So what would an ideal relationship be like? What would it be like for you? And I want to suggest even with a, a mental equivalence for relationships, there might even be two pieces of it. First of all, is a mental equivalent for yourself. What is my equivalent for love and loving? How do I like to be treated? How do I like to treat other people? What does friendship look like from my perspective? How do I like to show someone that I am their friend? How are the ways in which I show intimacy with other people? What does friendship look like? How do I wish it to look like on my own part? This is how we begin developing in our own selves what we would like to see mirrored on the outside. We can't really expect someone, right, to guess what we would like. We can't really expect the outside world to uh, reflect back to us something that we're not. So first of all, we have to become the friend. We have to become the lover. We have to become the person that we would want to hang around. We have to be able to reflect our own a mental equivalent of what friendship or love or other elements of relationships are like. We have to become that thing ourselves. Then we can begin seeing it reflected out in the outer world. And so a great place to start is simply doing a little bit of journaling, a little bit of contemplation of what friendship, what love, what relationships are like for you in their idealized form. How do I like to be treated? How do I like to treat other people? What are the parameters for success? The second piece of it, though, then, I think also a mental equivalent for relationships themselves, right? Because then we're talking about uh, two people working together. Well, hopefully, we're talking about two people working together to create something that isn't exactly 
like either one of them. And, and I want to talk a little bit about how I model relationships in terms of mental equivalence. And, and you can kind of think of them as, uh, as diagrams, if you will. So if this is a diagram, if this represents my idea of an ideal relationship, and then someone else has their ideal relationship uh, uh, firmly in their mind, the relationship is based really on the overlap here, right? Because it's not going to be it's not going to be a, a complete overlap because we're we're different people. We have different ideas of what a good relationship is like. But hopefully, there's a good deal of overlap. Hopefully, we agree on communication styles. Hopefully, we agree on what's important in a relationship, how to honor and respect each other, uh, ideas of play, of fun, of intimacy. Right? When we have a good deal of overlap and agreement on our mental equivalence oh my gosh, suddenly relationships are so easy. They're so fun. And I'm sure you have met people that you were almost like an instant buddy to, right? Haven't there been people in your lives within five minutes, it seemed like you have been together as a, as a friend or something for, for just years and years. And, and well, you know, you hear people talk, well, maybe we were friends in a, in a former life or, you know, I don't know. We come up with uh, examples of how that could be true. Uh, but my thought is it's simply that that overlap of shared values, the mental equivalent of what it means to be a good friend or partner, that those are overlapping to the extent that it just makes it amazingly easy and fun. Okay, what, however, if the overlap isn't so much? What if my mental equivalent of, uh, and, and I'll think back into my history here, because I, I have a number of mental equivalents of relationships I can draw on. I, I would say that my parents' uh, uh, mental equivalent of relationships, uh, my stepfather and my mother had maybe this much overlapping. So my mom was raised in that uh, period of time when, uh, there wasn't much outward affection shown, right? It was kind of like, uh, if you can't think of anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, it was that period in time where the mother and the father uh, seemed to only come together at mealtimes, and otherwise they had their sort of separate worlds. And so for my mother, uh, there wasn't a lot of outward affection, and that was just her mental equivalent of what being in the right relationship was like. Not, not that there is anything wrong with that, and that's what I have come to believe, is that our mental equivalent is just our picture of how things ought to be, and, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with it where there becomes friction, though, is when the people we want to be involved with have different pictures. And so I remember thinking that my stepfather was a little on the needy side when I was like a teenager. I had come to this awareness of what, what that even meant, right? And, and I'm like, well, gosh, it's like he, he's really affectionate and I wonder what's wrong here. And there wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong here it was just that the mental equivalence of what relationships were like were different enough that there was friction around it. That's not the way I would want to have uh, a relationship in my life. And so instead, I chose to pick another one. Uh, my one set of grandparents, oh my gosh, uh, we uh, before the first one of them passed away, they managed to celebrate 70 years together on the planet. And I tell you, they were just, they were sweethearts 
after 70 years, just as I imagined them to be when they were first married, right? And uh, uh, they came from a time, of course, when men and women's roles were very different, and, and an outsider might have even viewed my grandfather as being a little on the chauvinistic side, a little bit of that old school of the wife has her duties and the man has her duties, and we don't mix that up much. There's something wrong with that. But I got to tell you, when my grandmother had her stroke, suddenly the tender grandfather started doing all the work around the house. I still remember he was phoning nearly every day asking my mother, now how does the iron work? How do, how do, I, you know, how do I make grandma's clothes soft when they come out of the washing machine? It's like it, the love was so important that it transcended any idea of roles and responsibilities. And so that is one of my ideas of what long-term love looks like, right? You put aside some of those things that don't match up uh, in relationship to the, the honoring and how you want to be together. Okay, so how can you go about purposefully creating a mental equivalent. Well, one would be to find a relationship that looks a whole lot like the one you would want to have. Uh, why not actually interview some people that you know? I know it might sound weird, but if they're your friends, if there's your family, ask them. You two seem to have a wonderful, easygoing relationship together. Could you tell me a little bit more about it? What happens when there's friction? What happens when there isn't an automatic agreement on something? What's important? How do you work through some of the issues that come to plague you? What are the values that you have in common? And how have you worked through some of the values that you don't have in common? When the overlap isn't a, a very good one, what can you do about that? How, how do we move forward um, through some of those issues? Another thing, of course, you can do is just to begin uh, to move through those mental equivalents on paper, in your contemplations, in your spiritual life, some prayers around what you, what you expect out of a relationship, how you want to be treated. Always putting things, first of all, into the spiritual realm uh, so that the outward reality of life can begin uh, fitting into that mold. The next thing I want to talk about, though, uh, is the idea of limiting beliefs. So first you develop the mental equivalent of what you want. Then you have to look at some of the uh, limiting beliefs that exist. And one by one, uh, we have to work through replacing or revising them. And here is another place where I think relationships are complicated. And it doesn't matter whether they're work relationships, uh, whether they're romantic relationships. We have, uh, through society, inherited a whole list of common beliefs that can make relationships difficult. One of them is you may have to settle so that you're not lonely. One is that relationships don't last. So if it's not going to last anyway, how much effort am I willing to put into it? There's the idea that relationships are difficult. You know, am I really up for a long-term relationship now? 
Another one is that relationships should last forever. You know, that one has uh, lingered around through the centuries that, uh, uh, that if I'm going to make a commitment, it's going to be forever. Even if she treats me poorly, uh, even if he doesn't seem like a very good friend after six months, I'm just stuck. It's also the idea that it's not okay to lose a friend. Sometimes we will stick through with people who maybe are not all that useful to us anymore in our lives, simply because we think we ought to. And the last one, I'm going to read it. Listen really carefully, because I think we've got it backwards. The last one is the limiting belief that I deserve what I get. Now think about that for a minute. Shouldn't it be the other way around, that I get what I deserve? I think most of us have that one backwards in relationship. We tend to think that if I'm being treated poorly, I did something to deserve that. We tend to think that when the relationship is going badly, that I, I guess that's just the nature of things. I guess I just deserve it. But we need to work through all of these limiting beliefs if we want to move past them. And so one of the ways that we talked about last week, just a simple technique, is to deny and transform them. What would you rather believe? Would you rather believe that you're stuck? Would you rather believe that uh, you have to settle so that you're not lonely? Or would you rather believe that there is a perfect, nurturing, loving relationship for you that it's intrinsically drawn to you, that at any age and in any state of life, someone that has a great deal of overlap in terms of that vision of relationship exists, that in fact they're calling to you, that those mental equivalents are literally calling to each other and will find each other. I'd rather believe that. So do you see how I've taken some of the false beliefs, some of the ideas that are going to make it very difficult for me to have a loving relationship, worked through them, chose a new idea, and then the third part of this whole thing uh, is we begin taking small steps. But first I have uh, my joke for today that I want to slip in here. All right. So I said to my boyfriend recently, you know, we've been together for four years. I think it's about time we started talking about the future. Well, I thought at first he was going to run for the hills, but you know, he didn't. He smiled at me. He looked happy and relaxed. He had kind of a wistful look in his eye when he said, well, I always figured there'd be flying cars and robots and stuff. (laughs) So what do you do when you are on different wavelengths, when there isn't a lot of that mental equivalent of relationships that really overlap. Well, you have some choices. Now, if the person is really willing to look at this as a a spiritual endeavor, that this relationship, whether it be friends at work, whether it be uh, neighbors, whether it be someone you're interested in romantically, if they are willing to actually take a look at their idea of relationships, talk through it, and the two of you can build, if you want to think of it as a third mental equivalent, that addresses how the two of you will be together. If, if there's a willingness on both parties to do that, oh my gosh, nothing will stand in your way. But do you see how this also smacks of something that we say in Science of Mind, 
just give up on, and that's trying to change other people. <laughs> other people have the right to their own mental equivalent, right? If they want to be in a relationship where there isn't a lot of physical intimacy, they have that right. If they want to be in a relationship where the two people work through every single little detail of their lives together, they have that right. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Each of us has the innate right to be just as quirky and fun and unusual uh, and or usual and not quirky as we want to be. And so if we approach someone else as, a, well, no, we're going, to, we're going to develop a mental equivalent of relationship here uh, together. Oh, and by the way, it needs to be the way I want it to be. <laughs> This isn't going to work. This totally isn't going to work. It really has to be approached from a very honest and open situation where both people care enough about each other that they're willing to literally sit down, maybe with a whiteboard and some paper, and talk about really what's important to themselves in terms of, of how they like uh, friendships to go, how they can tell when a friend is honoring and supporting them, so on and so forth. All the details that we're not used to even talking about. If someone is not willing to do that, I would suggest you may need to recalibrate your expectations for the relationship. Not saying you can't be friends. Let me use an example. Uh, so uh, for uh, about 10 years at the telephone company, uh, kind of late in my career, I had, well, they were called tubmates. Uh, but you can say that they shared a cubicle with me. They were called, though, tubmates because the cubicles were about the size of a big bathtub, <laughs> honestly. So for about, uh, gosh, I can't remember now if it was 10, uh, maybe 12 years, uh, I shared uh, uh, the tub uh, with uh, a young gentleman. And, of course, you know, I approach people uh, kind of always wanting to be friends and buddies. And so I was looking forward to, you know, doing things after work now and then, uh, birthday cards, secret Santas. You know, I'm a little nutty in, in some ways around wanting to be with people. And, and I'm more than willing to share a certain amount of intimacy. And what I discovered was that my tubmate Craig, was a little more like this. Well, why would we go out after work? I didn't think you even drank. Why would we want to go out for cocktails after work when you don't drink? You mean just hang out? Well, well we can talk about stuff here at work. <laughs> Birthday cards? Are you crazy? I don't even send my family birthday cards. Do you see the trouble here? He had a very different idea of what it was to be in relationship, especially with someone at work. He got a lot of his socializing done with friends and family after work. He literally wanted to keep them separate. He did not have any particular value in buddies at work. Different mental equivalents. No problem there. And I would say after 10 or 12 years, it was a great delight to sit next to Craig. We had a good relationship, but it was not the relationship that I would have wanted at the beginning, right? 
at the beginning I had in my mind, no, it's going to be Larry's way. <laughs> now, of course, I'm not thinking that. What am I thinking? I'm thinking, well, any decent person would want to do these things, right? I'm just in it just like a crazy person, you know. If only you'll follow my way. If only you'll be buddies the way I want to be buddies. But that's not my right. That wasn't my role. His way was absolutely as good and perfect as mine. It was different. It took me a while to realize, no, of course we can be friends. It's just not the kind of friendship that perhaps I would have chosen had I got to rule the universe. Some days I just have to admit, I don't get to rule the universe. But it doesn't mean I don't get to have friends. It doesn't mean that the universe isn't a delightful place to navigate in. Okay, hopefully you have a a better idea then of how we can approach this idea of different mental equivalents for friendship, for love, for working partners. We look at where there are overlaps. We capitalize on them. But that overlap also can portray the depth of intimacy that you can go to. If there's not much overlap, too much intimacy will actually be a problem and not a good thing unless you find that rare person that's actually willing and interested in working on a mental equivalent for the two of you together i would suggest when there isn't a lot of overlap it's that what's in common we go for we don't try to force someone into having a different kind of relationship than what they want make sense okay so summary We've seen that the same three steps that work for any kind of, uh, of project we want to work on the do- using the divine creative process, the th- same three steps work. We build a mental equivalent for what we want to experience. We do our darndest to eliminate mental blocks and, uh, and things that stand in the way, old false beliefs that are going to raise their heads and, and play havoc with us. And then finally, we begin taking small steps in the direction that we want to go, and we evaluate, am I getting closer or am I getting further away from my ideal? And here's my last thought on the subject. This is another place that in relationships, we're not used to doing that. We're used to just jumping in and hoping for the best. And I would like to suggest that step by step, we do that evaluation. Oh, I just had kind of a blow up with my girlfriend. What's that about? The way I treated her and the way she treated me. Does that seem like a step closer to the kind of intimacy I want or a step further away from the kind of intimacy that we want, right? I'm used to just, oh, I'm all hurt. Things didn't go my way. I'm all, I'm all upset and in a fervor and no. Let's take a look at this. Did this interchange that we have, is it moving me closer to my idea of a friendship or a romance? Or is it actually taking me a step further away? If it's taking me a step further away, I need to try something different. If it's taking me a step away, maybe it's because there isn't a good overlap for those mental equivalents. So rather than just wading in, allowing our emotions to be in charge, uh, once again, the plan of just taking small steps, let's go out for coffee and see how that feels. Let's 
plan on doing some after church activities and see how that feels. Let's take a small step at a time. Does this feel closer to uh, what feels like best friends or is it maybe not so much? Maybe we're just going to be friends at church and not best friends. Maybe we're going to be people that like to go to the movies together and we're not going to pick out China patterns quite yet. (laughs) Make sense? Okay. So you use that guide, that idea of small steps, evaluating, am I getting closer to that mental equivalent of friendship or further away? So homework. Do you have a relationship that isn't going as well as you would like? If so, what is your mental equivalent for a relationship? It's the place to start. You probably have never actually sat down and wrote, written out the qualities of what it means to be a good friend or the, the qualities in you of what it means to be uh, in a long-term committed relationship. That is the place to start. I'm going to close with, uh, of course, a short reading from Ernest Holmes. And as you'll remember, this book is great. He has the prayers right in here. Every heart responds to the warmth of love. Every mind yearns for its embrace. No life is complete without it. Love, really, is the fulfillment of the law of good. People alone can heal the world and enable for people to live together in unity and in peace. Believing that love is the great lodestone of life, and that love alone fulfills the law of good. Therefore, quietly I pray. I believe that God is love. I believe that love is at the center of everything. Therefore, I accept love as the healing power of life. I permit love to reach out for me to every person I meet. I believe that love is returned to me from every person I meet. I trust in the guidance of love because I believe it is the power of good. I feel that love is flowing through me to heal every situation I meet, to help every person I contact. Love opens the way before me and makes it perfect, straight, and glad. Love converts the commonplace into that which is extraordinary. It converts weakness into strength, fear into faith. Love is the all-conquering power of spirit itself. I walk in confidence with love, which I feel to be everywhere present, within, around, and through me. And in that love, always, I am safe, secure, and cared for. And so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here to join us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, 
You are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.